I don't get it. 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 He was caught in an obsessive loop of unknowing after yet another failed attempt to win the affection of the one girl in his life that wanted nothing to do with him. What does she want from me? I don't get it. After three minutes of this, um, I had to leave my friend. I couldn't take his incessant cycling around this one question any longer. It was an all too real outward manifestation of the agonizing inward turmoil that I myself have slogged through time after time. Anxiety is intimately connected to the question, what do you want from me? Or who am I to you? The French theorist Jacques Lacan used the French que voix. What do you want? What do you want? The enigma of the other's desire causes us to freak out. Whether uh, that other is our beloved or our parents or friends or society or God, their silence, disapproval, and apathy causes us to try on mask after mask, each time essentially asking, do you love me now? How about now? How about now? Uh, when we go to a Halloween party, we literally ask, what mask shall I wear tonight? But October 31st or not, this is, I think, the question we unknowingly ask ourselves all the time. As an, art, <clears throat> as an artist, I ponder, what do they want on their walls? What should I make? As a podcaster, uh, what should I write and record and talk about? As a host of Story Night, how can I create a space where people really connect? But the real aim behind all of that, and basically anything I do, actually is something like, perhaps they'll love me now. I just want recognition. I want that pat on the back. I want to be famous. I want to matter. I want to be the exception. I'm not alone in this desire. We want to be free from such self-centered thinking, but yet like a moth to the flame, we return to our Instagrams, carefully craft, craft up our image that we want others to have of us. And always what's being asked beneath it all is, what do they want from me? And maybe they'll love me now. The problem with trying to become what other people want is that everyone is fickle. Most of us don't even know ourselves well enough to honestly convey what it is that we want. And our desires are always moving. We want something one moment, we attain it, and then we find it difficult to continue desiring it. And then we're on to the next thing. According to psychoanalytic theory, we as individuals are split between our conscious will and our unconscious desires, and that more often than not, our unconscious desires win out. 
and Freud calls this death drive. But even long before Freud, the Apostle Paul speaks of this tendency in himself in his letter to the church in Rome. He says, um, you know, basically, I don't, I don't understand myself. He says, I do not understand what I do. For, I want to, for what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. And this contradiction between what is a consciously expressed desire and an unconscious wish is easily seen um, in the example of, say, a parent that makes certain demands on, on their children. So let's take the example of the parent who, who tells their, their child, um, we don't resolve violence with violence. But then, if the child doesn't stand up for themselves, the parent tells them, you know, you did the right thing. We don't resolve violence with violence. But there's something in the way that they say it that reveals a disappointment. And the child feels as though they've let them down. And this causes anxiety. They think, well, I thought I did what you wanted. Or say... You know, the situation goes a little different where the child does stick up for themselves and bloodies the nose of the bully. The parent again says, you know, we don't resolve violence with violence, but there's a kind of twinkle in their eye. And they end up taking them out for ice cream. Again, we find this... So you see what I'm, I'm saying there? And, and I remember... Uh, there was this older uh, artist, he's in his 80s now, that I took some classes from. And when he was like 18, he moved away and left the family business that he was supposed to go into. He moved away to pursue becoming an artist. He said, when his dad was on his deathbed, he said, you know, uh, you're the one I'm most proud of, of my son's. Even though he was, at the time, mad at his son for leaving and going and doing what he wanted to do, in the end, um, the father was glad that, he, that the son did what he wanted to do, that he disobeyed his demand. Um, and so the son, the other, you know, the other brother, it's really similar to the prodigal son story, you know, the other brother that obeyed the demand of the father and stayed and helped him run the business um, was in some way sadly a disappointment to the father and I just say that uh, to to I'm trying to show how what we say that we want and what we secretly want are often not the same thing okay so another example is like uh, we find this con find that contradiction of what's what's avowed and then what is actually wanted but it but unknown uh, we find that when someone breaks up with say their boyfriend or their girlfriend and says all right i'm done going out with people like that and then they find themselves drawn right back in to a relationship with someone that treats them in the same way um, or maybe it's I mean, it could also be that they are unconsciously acting in ways that cause the new person to treat them 
in that old familiar way that they secretly desire. So um, if it is true then that that we say that people uh, that people want one thing but secretly another, then how do we ever how do we ever win? How do we ever know whether we're doing the right thing? How do we how do we ever really know our know ourselves? How do we ever answer that question? Kevoi, what do you want from me? I don't get it. Who do you want me to be? I did what you told me to do. You, you said you said you wanted you wanted it this way, and now you don't. The comfort is precisely that. It's that we can't win. We the comfort I think is realizing oh I I can't be what the other wants me to be because the other doesn't know what they want. And then I think what's important is that we we try to resolve this in our own selves. We try to come to understand more uh, more closely what it is that we say uh, to other people that we want, but then we try to reveal to ourselves our secret desires and make peace with that. So until we look hard at our contradictory desires, make peace with them, we'll continue to just frustrate and perplex other people around us. So what are the signs uh, that we are mired in contradiction? We kind of always are, but at times it's the contradictions are more unbearable than others. Well, those signs that we are are our symptoms. They are our symptoms. And the symptom is the outward manifestation of an inward conflict. Uh, Lacan called our symptoms our sand toms, which in French means holy man. And this is the idea that if we listen to our symptoms, that, that they point the way to our contradictions, um, to the contradictions that we need to look at. So, <clears throat> um, say we are experiencing the symptom of tiredness. We just need to sleep as much as possible. We might be doing that because like, it's easier to just go to sleep than it is to look at and make peace with our opposing desires. We want one thing and we want the other, and we haven't, we haven't uh, figured out how to choose one over the other. So we, we sleep, or we head to the bar and, um, and try to forget about the war that's inside of us. We tell ourselves stories that cover over the contradiction, we become convinced in if-only statements like, you know, if only they weren't around or if only I had a nicer car, well, then maybe maybe then they'd love me. And this leads to an endless treadmill. Um, and it leads to scapegoating, you know, in Nazism. For Hitler, it was if only we get rid of the Jews, then we'll be able to bring society back to this 
organic, whole, perfect community, that there is this outside, external thing that is disrupting our, our unity, our harmony. But the, but the fact is, is, if they would have gotten rid of everything, then they would have had to find a new thing to scapegoat because that contradiction, that conflict is within all of us. Um, and it's not something that can be completely gotten rid of. The only thing that we can do, we cannot reconcile that conflict, but we can become reconciled to it. Um, we want to have our cake and eat it too, but it's an either or situation and we have to choose. Um, and when we make that choice, uh, maybe we never fully get rid of that desire to, to have it the other way, but maybe we can become reconciled to the choice that we made and we can make peace with the path that we're on. Maybe we can begin to become grateful for what we already have. Um, and we can begin to want what we already have. What we desire is a fantasy. Um, and sometimes realizing those fantasies really does make our life better. But it doesn't solve everything. And making peace with that imperfection that is us, that is ourselves. There's a uh, line in Midnight in Paris where he finally, you know, the whole time he's thinking, you know, if only I could just live back in the 1920s in Paris, then I, then I could finish my book and I could become a successful writer. He's this man that lives in, you know, 2010. He's an American. He's a writer for Hollywood. And he really wants to... Um, what he really wants is to pursue his, his more serious uh, writing. But as he goes back to the 1920s, um, he meets this girl. And her obsession is with... Uh, I think it's the... 1880s uh, and they end up going back in time together to the 1880s and run into different artists of that era and what Owen Wilson's character realizes is that we're always looking back thinking that the utopia was in the past um, and that if only we could get back to that then everything would be good everything would be great again um But he realizes in the end, he goes, but maybe that's the thing is that um, when he goes back to these different places, everyone is unsatisfied where they are, even though he thinks this is the right place to be. It's always unsatisfying. And that's what he says. He, he comes to that realization of no matter what time I live in, I'm always going to be a little unsatisfied. That's, that's what life is, a little unsatisfying. But he's able to accept that and reconcile himself to that. Um, I think that's all for this week. 
this is uh, I, I never never did my usual introduction thanks for listening to the Lonely Painter podcast and uh, um, be good to yourselves thanks oh one last thing um, song of the week for me is uh, Remind Me Who I Am by Jason Gray. And it's one of the few Christian songs that I actually like. But in it, he says, it's just this really honest question of, tell me, he says, tell me once again who I am to you. And if I'm your beloved God, can you help me believe it? Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. unbelief. So uh, go check that out if you're interested. I think it's it's a nice uh, song to listen to in tandem with this whole idea of who am I to you. All right, talk to you later. Bye.